Welcome to Unchained TV, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. You're about to hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your health, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I am so excited to have two incredible thought leaders on today who are encouraging people all around the world to eat differently, to open their hearts and minds to a new way of living that does not involve killing, that is better for the animals, better for the planet, and better for their own health. So we've got some extremely exciting breaking news about a new campaign that is is truly extraordinary and features so many famous people I did not know eat differently. So let's check out this campaign, and then we're going to talk to one of the people who is uh, so instrumental in bringing this to us. They called them the crazy ones, the rabble-rousers, the misfits, the ones who danced to the beat of a different drum. You could cheer them or chastise them, revere them or revile them. But one thing you couldn't do is ignore them because they changed the world and pushed humanity forward. These geniuses not only thought differently, they ate differently too. They ate plants, not animals. And they inspired a new generation of disruptors to carry the torch. People who eat plants are healthier and live longer. Eating plants reduces animal suffering, minimizes the risk of pandemics, and mitigates climate change. And while some say plant eaters are the crazy ones, we think it's not just genius, it's evolution. Wow, that's incredible. Lori Amos, founder of Scout 22. Tell us all about this. Yeah, so um, eat differently. We, we uh, uh, Scout Twenty Two works on uh, is working on the PR for the Eat Differently campaign, and um, they really did, you know, want to defocus on the people behind the campaign and make it about the icons and the luminaries. We're calling them luminaries because they're they're not just celebrities; they are in fact above celebrities. Um, so. So working on the PR, I'm helping them out. Um, my agency is helping them out. And uh, the the genesis of this is really to inspire people. That's, that's what they want to do ultimately. And, um, you know, if you look at the iconic 1990s, I think it was 1996, the, um, the Think Differently campaign, I think different rather campaign that Apple launched was, was huge. It's, it's, um, arguably one of the, the biggest, most lauded campaigns of the 20th century. And so we aren't, um, we aren't copying the campaign. This is a public service announcement and a commentary on the original campaign. Because if you look at the people that they featured, many of them not only thought differently, but they ate differently as well. Were they 100% vegan? No, but some are. Um, many of them are deceased, but uh, a lot of them espoused um, eating a vegetarian uh, life, 
lifestyle, having a vegetarian lifestyle and nonviolence um, and peace beginning on your plate. And, um, and we thought that was, uh, that was worthy enough for, you know, eat differently thought it was worthy enough for them to, to start a whole campaign. Um, so yeah, we're getting, we're getting rave reviews. It's absolutely extraordinary. And I learned, uh, something, in fact, some of these people I'm like you to identify, obviously I know who Chris is, but like this guy, who's this guy? Oh, that's Hamilton. Um, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, the race car driver. Oh, Lewis Hamilton. Oh, Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) Okay. And you can go to eat differently. What I love about this is that there are tons of um, quotes from these people that espouse compassionate animals. And so it's, it's really, really interesting. Nikola Tesla there, obviously Steve Jobs, um, Cesar Chavez, um, Gandhi. uh, Wow. Uh, Now you lose me. (laughs) (laughs) Prince, we're back. We're back. Um, (laughs) Again, you lose me. Uh, Uh, Greta Thunberg. Uh, there are quotes, Natalie Portman. Uh, there are quotes from all these folks. Uh, that's, uh, well, that's probably, uh, I'm going to stop. Tom Brady. Before I, before <laughs> I, um, yes, Tom Brady. And then um, uh, the, the Russian author, uh, right? Um, oh, yes, yes. Tolstoy. Um, Tolstoy, thank, thank you. And now, with that correct answer, <laughs> you win a new car. Um <laughs> But uh, Zach Olderk of Phonolytics, you are also doing something absolutely fascinating to try to find out what is the best way to open hearts and minds. Tell us about your campaign. Yeah, so we, we recently reduced, uh, released a, a new report called Different Strokes for Different Folks, comparing U.S. groups' openness to pro-animal actions. And it's about just that. It's looking at how different groups in the U.S. feel about taking a variety of actions to help animals. So. We know that the U.S. public uh, doesn't always look at things the same way. There's a lot of different groups of people with very different beliefs and preferences. I don't think I'm breaking any news with that. But a lot of the animal advocacy-related research out there doesn't really reflect that. It's taken uh, more of a a one-size-fits-all approach. So when it comes to trying to get people to take actions that would benefit animals, a lot of the research out there has focused on one or two key actions or asks or only looked at differences between a few groups. But... We know that, you know, advocates often only work in a particular region of the country or focus on college campuses or want to target parents or something like that. So in light of that, we wanted to provide a resource that allows advocates to choose what their asks are based on their typical audience or to seek out groups that might be particularly friendly to their message. So rather than throwing a lot of resources at the wall and hoping that their outreach sticks with with a few folks who wanted to help advocates be more efficient and effective in their outreach. So we ended up, uh, we surveyed thousands of people in the U.S. and asked them how, how likely they would be to try uh, a bunch of different animal actions, pro-animal actions. And we asked them some information about themselves as well, ranging from their political beliefs to their age and their gender to how far they are from the nearest grocery store. And we released a report, uh, which you can find at faunalytics.org, that goes into our findings. And we also created an interactive tool that lets you quickly and easily look at the results for the actions and groups that are most relevant to your animal advocacy work. And that's there, right there. I was looking at it. Very interesting. You can kind of plug in things and try to figure out what your 
focus is going to be based on the answers. So uh, give us the broad strokes. Uh, who is open to veganism or plant-based or helping animals demographically? Yeah, so uh, one of the, one of our key findings that, is that uh, the groups who are most and least likely to take pro-animal actions, they're often divided along political lines, actually. So specifically, Democrats and liberals were typically much more likely to take a pro-animal action than Republicans and conservatives were. That's also the case for politicized issues like climate change. People who are concerned about climate change were consistently more likely to take pro-animal actions than people who weren't. Um, so that uh, could be something like voting for a ballot measure aimed at improving conditions for farmed animals or not buying leather and wool. Um, we also found that BIPOC participants were often among the most open to pro-animal actions, especially compared to white participants. The degree of openness does sort of depend on the specific action. Um, so, for example, of any group that we asked, Black participants had the highest likelihood of removing beef and pork from their diets, of going pescatarian, of going vegan. But they weren't especially likely to take any of the other non-diet actions we asked about, like maybe buying only cruelty-free products, for example. Uh, so that shows that the combination of the, the characteristic of the people and the the ask, in this case, race and diet change for this example, um, really matters. It's not that a single group is either open to pro-animal actions or not. It's the combination of the characteristic and the ask that really matters. Uh, that's fascinating, and I can't wait to do a deep dive. We've got a caller, Michael in Los Angeles, your question or thought for our thought leaders on how to get people to open their hearts and minds. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I think this is a brilliant idea. Um, you know, I was just, I kind of had a suggestion. I don't know if it's economically feasible, but if you could put all the faces on like a billboard and say something like they all had something in common, you know, and we'd get people to think mm -hmm. and, and realize that these great minds all agreed on one thing that, you know, eating animals is not that good for us, you know, good for the planet, good for our health. And I really think that, um, uh, you, know, you know, that would be powerful like a billboard, you know, across the freeway or something. Well, take it right, away, right. Lori. Is that, is that part of your campaign? <laughs> uh, well, it, it is. Um, I, I mean, we're saying that in effect. Um, I, I, right now we focus on, um, Eat Differently focuses on one luminary at a time. Uh, but... Um, you know, the idea is to to when people get to the site, they 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 kind of we infer. But you know, that's that's a great suggestion. And certainly, being off of a freeway, you get a lot more traffic. And um, there are plans to take the campaign to other major cities. So um, certainly, a great suggestion moving forward. Well, 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 let me just ask you a follow up on that. Like, where is this campaign? Obviously, social yeah. media is global, but you're saying it's targeting a particular city? It is. There are 29 billboards in San Diego, in greater San Diego. Um, so uh, San Diego was chosen because of its, um, it's the second largest city in, in California. It's a vibrant city. It's um, forward thinking, uh, a, a nice cross section of, of people, um, a lot of health conscious people that are open minded. So um, that is the launch city. Wow. And again, you're looking at some of the images, Gandhi, who famously said violence begins with the fork. Uh, Jane Goodall, I stopped eating meat 50 years ago when I looked at the pork shop on my plate and thought this represents fear, pain and death. And oh, my gosh, I saw 
Jane Goodall getting a, a couple of years ago, she was given a Jane Goodall day here in Los Angeles. And she was so vibrant. She's in her eighties and she's running around. Teenagers were having trouble keeping up with her. All right. Um, we have another caller, Nilo Farr in Dallas, Texas. Your question or thought for our thought leaders on opening hearts and minds. Hi, what a brilliant campaign. Kudos. Um, I've been an animal rights activist in Dallas for almost 20 years, but I've never heard of Phonolytics and Gen V. So thanks to Unchained TV, um, we're getting introduced to you. Having said that, um, fundraising must be a challenge um, because my guess is a lot of people haven't heard about you. And most of us animal rights activists um, are are aware of many of these established uh, organizations, such as PTA and Physicians Committee, etc. So um, uh, what do you do about fundraising? 29 billboards in the San Diego area on top of every other work that you do is very expensive. So how do you handle that? Thank you. Uh, Sure, sure. So... I, I'm happy to take that if it's the specific billboard question. Go, go for it. Sure. Um, so it is funded by a nonprofit um, and that uh, the the company Eat Differently um, wanted to make an impact. And, and in order to do that, we needed mass awareness. So um, correct in thinking it is expensive. Billboards are expensive, but there's really no other way to to have mass impact um, than to do a, a, a big awareness campaign. So um, it is with that that we're moving forward with, and you know we we have uh, people who who really are passionate about this, and are, in fact, it's their life mission to to um, to bring these facts. You know, the facts about the animal cruelty, the health. Um, uh, you know, our global warming and and how um, eating animals contributes to that, and then of course the diseases and pandemics. So, we aren't fundraising. We aren't selling anything. Um, we're simply bringing the facts to people, and we we have to do that in the most impactful way. Um, so. Yeah. Um, Now, what I find fascinating about this is like every other person who loves animals and is vegan and is an activist and, of course, running a streaming network, trying to find the most impactful way. And I find a lot of times that, um, I don't know, somebody's doing some (laughs) raking back there, but um, I find a lot of times that um, the most obvious thing to me does not work. So, we do these undercover investigations all the time. Here's some recent ones. I mean, you'd think, right, seeing this for five seconds, you'd say, oh, my God, I don't want to participate in this. This is horrific. I mean, these are just images from recent um, when we've gone live. And I I can only show you for a couple of seconds. You know, I mean, I literally have PTSD from looking at these things. You got to download them. You got to edit them. You've got to upload them. And I, Zach, am always flabbergasted that people look at this and then they go and they have a ham sandwich after seeing this. Are you kidding me? So obviously that doesn't impact them. Obviously it impacts some people. I mean, most people that I know have gone vegan, a lot of times they cite the movie Earthlings, which is streaming on Unchained TV, along with Dominion, along with Vegucated and Forks Over Knives and a lot of these great documentaries. 
Yes, I think they said uh, more than a quarter of people who've gone vegan have done so because of documentaries. But what are we missing here that we could show people these horrific images and it doesn't seem to have an impact? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. I think there are a lot of different barriers, uh, real or perceived, that people have. You know, people think that maybe the food doesn't taste as good, uh, vegan alternatives, um, although... There's some evidence to suggest that once they try it, that might change their minds a little bit, but there's that sort of that hesitancy. Um, in the the work that we've done recently, uh, we found that only 6% of people said that they would be willing to go vegan or they would be likely to go vegan in the next year. Um, 6% of people said vegan, 6% of people said they'd go vegetarian in the next year, 12% of people said pescatarian, 16% of people said that they would remove beef and pork from their diet. So it seems like the fewer um, products that people expect to have to re uh, remove from their diet, the more likely they are to try that. Um, so there may be a sort of, um, an argument for, for the, for the folks who see these images and feel something, but don't necessarily want to change their diet entirely overnight. Um, there may be an argument for trying to convince them to remove, uh, different animal products sort of one at a time to try to try to get to that level maybe eventually of, of being fully vegan. Um, there are a lot of other pro-animal actions that people are more open to um, than diet change that maybe starting with some of those actions will maybe be sort of a foot in the door and, and they'll realize um, that it feels good to help animals um, or to not be harming animals. And maybe that will that will encourage them to, to take additional steps like going vegan. Well, first of all, if you're all you're a vegan and you're watching this and going, oh no, by the way, this was from Faunalytics. I'm going to read it, even though I have to lean over. Many different approaches to advocacy exist within the animal protection movie, from talking to people you know about animal suffering, to sharing social media posts, to protesting in public spaces. We conducted two studies in the U.S. in 2022 to address this topic. Yes, go to faunalytics.org and learn all about this because it has a wealth of information. I mean, it's the U.S. Public Library for finding out how to turn people vegan. Uh, but, you know, uh, when you said, well, only 6%, it sounds like, ooh, that's terrible. But actually, um, isn't there a theory that all you need is 3.5% of the population to go vegan and then the rest will follow, like you'll have a cultural shift? I know Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book called The Tipping Point. And I don't remember the exact number, but it's a very low number. And uh, we were discussing this just the other day. It's like, well, can we get 3.5% of the population to go vegan? And would that be the tipping point? Um, maybe you could address that, Zach, because do you know that point? And where are we on that point? Like exactly how many people are vegan in the United States? This is actually... Uh, a very difficult question to answer. You'd think it would be pretty simple to just uh, send out a survey and, and ask a lot of people, uh, but it changes. And there have been a lot of surveys done on this and, and they tend to find different numbers, some some a lot higher, some a lot lower. Um, so I think there's also this sort of um, people maybe feel as though uh, being vegan is the right thing to do. So they might tend to uh, maybe overestimate how close to vegan they actually are. Um, so I don't actually have a specific number off the top of my head for you on that. And, and I'm not super familiar with that exact point about the, the tipping point. I haven't actually read um, that particular book. But uh, I will say that I think you can see in, in daily life compared to, say, a decade ago uh, or, or even a few years ago, how, uh, how common 
vegan alternatives to animal products are. Um, there are, you know, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, for example, has, you know, plenty of uh, plant-based milk alternatives. There are plenty of coffee chains now that are defaulting to oat milk over dairy milk um, as, you know, as the default milk option in their drinks. So I think, I think it's becoming a lot more common. And as we're seeing with the, with the folks that are in uh, the Eat Differently campaign, right, there are a lot of people that, yes, some of them are like, you're, you know, Tolstoy or Gandhi, um, who are, you know, not as, um, you know, not, not alive today, for example, but, um, I think you have other folks like Lewis Hamilton or Serena Williams or Tom Brady or, or other folks like that, who, who are making it sort of more, uh, a vegan diet, a more common, uh, and, and normalized, I guess, part of, part of culture. Wow. Okay. This is such a fact. I could talk to you guys all day because this is what keeps me up at night. You know, are we doing an effective strategy or is this not effective? Um, so we've got another caller, Emic, uh, in Los Angeles. Your question or thought for our fabulous panel. Hi, I really love this campaign. Thanks for making it possible for people to see. Also, they have to remember these amazing people were just like them, just random people who had no passion for these kind of things, but they believed in themselves. And they became people who make difference. So anybody can do this. You don't have to be really a superhero to achieve compassion and kindness. I have a couple of questions. What are some misconceptions or myths surrounding plant-based eating and cruelty-free products that we should address to inspire a change? And another question is, how can we cultivate empathy and a deeper understanding of the emotional and cognitive capabilities of these animals to encourage humans to make um, more compassionate choices in their diets and lives in general. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I love this question. What are the misconceptions? Can we tackle that? And, you know, whoever wants to take that one, what are the misconceptions that people have that are keeping them from going vegan. Uh, you want to take a, a, a shot at it, Lori? And this kind of um, goes back to an earlier question. Why don't people see, you know, those images and, and um, you know, a, a rational person would see those, those horrific images and say, yeah, not, you know, bacon is not so good that I would participate in that. Um, it has to do with um, cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, confirmation bias and lost fallacy biases. So all these cognitive biases where people can literally talk themselves out of seeing what they're seeing or justify it. Um, and that's why, you know, I don't poo-poo people who, who are, are start off, um, their, their vegan path with, um, you know, uh, losing weight or, you know, something sort of very surface level or what they, people appear to, deem as selfish because it can change. And once you break that barrier of, of um, they don't have the cognitive dissonance anymore, it starts to uh, fall away because they're no longer eating meat. That, that was my personal journey that happened, you know, four decades ago. Um, and it, it happens to a lot of people. And I think, I think um, the misconceptions about eating plant-based is, I think we, we touched on it. It's um, it's, not um it, it it's not good for you i think is 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 what 
people are out there saying that the meat lobbyists, um, it's, um, it's your deemed as different, which we, we are saying in our campaign that being different is a good thing. Um, and well, I want to touch on that because you hit the, you really hit the nail on the head with that one. People want to fit in. And I've heard so many people say, well, I'm at a dinner party and, and, you know, first of all, nobody cares. They're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about yourself. Okay. When I gave up drinking 28 years ago, uh, and you know, knock on wood one day at a time that will continue. I thought, Oh, I'm going to go to a party and people are going to see that I'm not having, nobody cares. All of that was in my head. Nobody cares whether you're eating animals or not. In fact, usually they're curious and they ask questions, but not necessarily in an attacking way. Yes, it's happened to all of us. But I just find even if I don't bring it up, they'll bring it up. It's not like I'm proselytizing at all times. Well, yes, I am. But you know what I'm saying. Um, Yeah. uh, Let me ask you a follow up on that. I mean, are there like five key reasons that are barriers that that you've identified, like feeling like you're going to be different. Um, you're not going to be accepted by your social group. Oh, uh, the meat industry we know has a giant uh, Fox News like ginormous place where they send out things, you know, oh, it's processed, blah, blah, blah. Failing to mention that processed meat is officially cancer causing, according to the World Health Organization. It is a carcinogen, which the plant-based burgers are not. So what are those handful of barriers, Zach? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question, Jane. I would say, um, and this is this is coming actually from or very relevant to a study that we that we recently released um, called "Going Vegan or Vegetarian," and it's about the barriers and strategies on the path to success. So, um, one of our main findings in that uh, report was that the the worst barriers to diet change were feeling uh, unhealthy not seeing veganism as part of somebody's identity, and then also believing that society perceives veganism negatively. Um, so there is some some truth to, to what you're saying about the, or a lot of truth, I should say, to what you're saying about people sort of being concerned that others are maybe perceiving them as as different in a bad way. But I think that the, the Eat Differently campaign, for example, is a great example of trying to normalize that and show that even if you do feel different for this, which I think is probably becoming less and less common anyway, but even if you do feel different for it, there are a lot of people who who have done this who we think of as luminaries, right? Who we who we think of as these these thought leaders. Um, so those are some of the those are some of the the main um, barriers. Cost is also a concern for people. Um, reducing uh, costs was was helpful at, at uh, you know making people feel more able to stick to their vegan or vegetarian diet. So those are just a few, a few examples. Absolutely. We've got another caller, but I do want to point out that one of the messengers uh, commenters here said, Billy Eilish should be added in <laughs> definitely updated and stick Billy Eilish in because I mean, we did a cooking show where she literally did a cameo because we were focused on her mom, Maggie Baird, who has this incredible program to feed people in need call support and feed. And she literally did a cameo like this for 10 seconds. Hi, it's Billy. Love ya. And you know, it was like the biggest thing since sliced bread for us. So throw her in there. She's super popular. She's ac- actually, we are, we, we, um, we are working on that. It's funny that that should come up. We, we've, 
spoken to her team. Um, we are going to include her in the campaign. So, um, yes. All right. We got a caller, Michelle in Los Angeles. Your question or thought for our panel. Hi. Uh, well, this piggybacks on all the other questions. Um, I have friends who love animals and they care deeply about the environment and they keep telling me, oh, you know, I would love to be vegan. It's just my taste buds or it's too hard or, you know, all the usual excuses. But what is statistically, what is like a good thing to tell them or what is the tipping point for them to like cross over that cognitive dissonance? What have you found is effective? Go ahead, Lori. Oh, um, so what I found was effective, at least for people in my orbit, was to give them facts and not push too hard. I think um, when I've done that and I've, I've, you know, of course I started with my family. Oh, you have to, you have to see these, you have to see this, right? Um, people want to feel like it's their journey and that they're, it's their decision and they aren't being, you know, pushed into it. Um, so I think just giving them the facts, you know, sharing information, um, but doing so in a non-judgmental fashion, um, certainly, has, has worked for me, uh, has worked for people in my orbit and, and, um, and then also just opening them up to, you know, vegan food, delicious vegan food. I think one of the other barriers is just having access to good vegan food. And that's not, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. That's not the case here. It's not the case in New York and many other cities. Um, but I've, I've traveled a lot and, and it's, it's been really difficult. So if they're thinking vegan food is, you know, gross or um, tasteless or they, they, you know, not good for them, it, it's a deal breaker. Uh, your answer, Zach? Yeah, I would say uh, everything that Lori said, I would, I would uh, underscore. And I also think that um, the caller mentioned something specifically about, you know, people concerned about the environment. Um, you know, we found that climate change, people's beliefs on climate change tends to be one of the bigger predictors of whether or not, or one of the bigger things correlated with, with whether or not they will take a pro animal action. So I think maybe pushing on that a little bit, pointing out what, uh, that's such a high percentage of emissions that are contributing to climate change come from the animal agriculture industry. So I think that might be another, another way of sort of driving that home, trying to figure out what uh, what specific points might resonate the, the most with, with the particular people that you're talking to. And let me point out that one of the big problems is that the media, which is advertiser-based and supported by the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical industries, don't talk about this. There were two headlines. Recent, the meat industry blocked the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change attempts to recommend a plant-based Diet. A leaked draft revealed how the meat industry is obstructing efforts to curb climate change. Um, this was in a good publication, but not a major publication like the Washington Post. Uh, that was, I believe, Quartz. This was distilled how meat and fossil fuel producers watered down the latest IPCC report. Scientists, authors recommended more plant based diets and phasing out of all fossil fuels. They didn't make it into the final report. So here we are trying to tell people, hey, if you look at the chart here that is provided by the uh, government agencies and the uh, NGO agencies, the very top, you may not be able to read it, is beef, followed by lamb and mutton, followed by cheese. Okay, 
they're, they're right up the, the, the carbon footprint, the carbon price tag of these items are so much higher. But people are not getting that information because the media <laughs> doesn't want to offend their advertisers, which is one of the reasons we started Unchained TV. Because, uh, frankly, I would love it if the New York... You, you have to give credit to the New York Times for occasionally covering this, but not to the extent that they should. Somebody just told me, you know, these major um, publications, they have reporters assigned to even one giant product, like iPhone, okay? They should have a factory farming reporter. They should have a reporter that focuses specifically on this, but they don't. So we're trying to let people know about the connection between climate change and animal agriculture. You know, I mean, Greta Thunberg obviously is a vegan. She does mention it when she can. But I believe that a lot of times they're like kind of piped down, piped down on that. You know, and so it's really a struggle. We're going to take a brief break here on Voice America Radio, but we're staying live on the Unshade TV streaming app and on all socials. Stay right there. We'll be back in a second with Voice America Radio. America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Unchained TV. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email in to jane at unchainedtv.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, we are having a fascinating conversation, and the future of our planet may depend on it. 
whereas animal agriculture is a leading contributor to climate change. In fact, there's a new white paper that suggests it is the leading contributor. It's a very big subject, so it depends on how you calculate it. If you calculate and include the lost opportunity of all the trees that would be absorbing carbon, because that's what trees do. They absorb carbon through photosynthesis, synthesis, and that's how you have the plants and the trees. If you included all the trees that would exist, but for animal agriculture clearing that land, you can actually come to the conclusion that it is the leading cause of climate change. That's a very controversial subject. However, nobody disputes that the most um, destructive in terms of climate foods are beef followed by cheese, okay? Beef, lamb, cheese, mutton, those are the big carbon price tag items. So we're brainstorming. I think we've got a brainstorming session going on here of, wow, we have this incredible, incredible campaign called Eat Differently that is inspired by the old um, Think Different campaign that Apple ran back in the 90s. I want to play it with no sound so you can get a sense of what we're talking about here. Um, these are, that's Albert Einstein, Rosa Parks, the Beatles, it goes on and on. Now, are they all, were they all vegans? No, but they all said uh, something about compassionate animals and not eating animals. And we'll show some of the quotes and some of them are and were vegan. So um, what we're doing is kind of trying to break this down with phonolytics as well to find out what is this magic formula. And there's Greta Thunberg, of course, who's a vegan, Natalie Portman, um, Tom Brady, and uh, many, many other. Tolstoy. Um, don't know who this fella is. Okay, so you get the idea. These are famous people who may not have been strictly vegan. Some of them are. Jane Goodall is meatless. I heard her describe her meatless journey uh, when I interviewed her briefly during a City Hall event honoring her. But I think that's a great campaign. Uh, we were also talking about this great campaign that stopped a lot of people from smoking that had a woman who had, had a tracheotomy and she was smoking through her neck and it said smoking is very glamorous. And I was wondering if we needed something like that as well to shock people, you know, shock value. Now, I just want to point out that, you know, sometimes you can stumble on things. I mean, what if you said eating chicken is here? Let me get a, a, a these are a recent investigation. Eating chicken is very tasty. Yum. Right. And you showed what the reality is there. I mean, I'm wondering if something like that eating chicken is, oh, it's, it's very wholesome. And you show something like that. What do you think of that, Zach, from Faunalytics? Because you're an expert who has done deep research into how to open people's hearts and minds. Yeah, I think it's I think for some people that would be extremely effective. I think there are other there are other folks for for them the sort of more graphic images uh, aren't actually as effective. So, I think it it would kind of depend on who you're talking to, which makes it a little bit more difficult. I think there's also this aspect of the uh, the smoking ad that you that you were referencing uh, in, in which people could either smoke or not smoke. I realize it's not that simple to quit, but, um, it's sort of this, this simple binary. Um, whereas I think there's this hesitancy and I'm not necessarily saying that it's always super, a super founded 
uh, hesitancy, but I think there's a hesitancy for people. Okay, if I'm not eating chicken, for example, what am I going to eat instead? And they get worried that the vegan food doesn't taste as good, or that that they just have to eat, you know, raw carrots or something along those lines. Um, which, as as you and I know, is not actually the case. Um, a lot of this food, uh, a lot of the the meat alternatives taste great. Um, even if you're not using meat alternatives, there are plenty of easy options. Um, that are often cheap as well. People are often concerned about cost as well. So um, I think uh, as one sort of prong of of uh, of a campaign, I think that would be a really good um, a really good idea potentially um, for for a lot of people. I think what's really uh, tricky about this is that you're absolutely right. You know, as somebody who uh, does not drink and hasn't for 28 years, it's it is binary, no alcohol. Okay, period. End of story. But with food, you have to negotiate with food every day in order to stay alive. <laughs> so it's a much more complicated scenario. Uh, and um, the choices and the fact that you have to make that decision, you know, a couple of times a day, presumably, is um, a big factor. So it's almost like a three dimensional chess game is how I see it. It's not just there's one magic solution. Also, different people respond differently to different forms of uh, messaging. I was shamed into ve going vegan. Uh, Howard Lyman, I interviewed him when I was a local news anchor and I was vegetarian. And um, he's the mad cowboy who went on Oprah and said, uh, it, it revealed all the, the horrors. He, he had been a cattle rancher. He got very sick. He made a pact with God. He said, God, if you get me out of the surgery... I'm going to reveal the secrets. He went on Oprah. He revealed the secrets. And she famously said that just stopped me cold from eating another burger. She was sued by the Cattlemen's Association. She had to take her show to Texas for a while. Dr. Phil came on the scene, I believe as a trial consultant. And that was a big thing in our movement. And um, so he was doing a book tour for his book, Mad Cowboy. And after I interviewed him, he came up to my cubicle. And he said, with his publicist, you'd like to know, Lori. And she was big factor in this. And she, they said... Do you, we hear you're a vegetarian. Do you still eat dairy? And I said, I hung my head and I said, yes, but he had just told me babies ripped from their mothers, veal, veal crates, boy calves shot. And they looked at me and they said, liquid meat right at my nose, liquid meat like that. I went vegan at that moment. So when people say never confront people, I'm like, hold on a minute there. If they had said, well, we think maybe you should consider um, removing dairy from your diet, I, I probably wouldn't have heard it, you know? But they were very, I'll never forget that. Liquid me, I say it all the time because it snapped me out. It was like a snap out of my um, sort of self-congratulatory vegetarianism. And so how do you navigate that? Uh, you know, how how do we navigate that? And, and let me just go back to Zach on that one because this is about the research yeah, it's a it's a very tricky question to answer, and that's something that we were trying to work on in in some of our some of our more recent research is trying to figure out well what things that are easy to identify in somebody if you see them walking down the street or you know what area of the country they live in or something like that um, would make it easy to figure out which you know which people would be persuaded by the sort of like the liquid meat argument versus the folks who are like I need to see hard data to convince me or something like that, um, and you know. It's 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 not uh, it's not an easy question, unfortunately. You know, um, there are certain groups that are more interested in going vegan 
than others just in general, right? Students, for example, are, are more interested, um, younger people. Um, but, but there are other people, um, conservatives, for example, who are, who are less open to these things, right? So um, some of it is trying to figure out uh, how to kind of get a foot in the door with those groups that are, that are less interested in those things. I don't know, um, I don't know if there's been a lot of research on the sort of the backfiring potentially uh, with certain groups of showing those sorts of things. You know, there are always those people who are kind of contrarians who will see an ad like that and be like, you know what, for that reason, I'm going to go to McDonald's and order, you know. Um, but I think that, I think that that's probably um, not a huge concern for, for us um, as a movement. Um, and I think trying to figure out ways to get a foot in the door, um, trying to push for things that people, um, you know, are, are more open to uh, is a good idea. For example, people are really open to voting for ballot measures um, like Prop 12 in California. Um, almost three out of four people that we that we surveyed said that they were would be likely to vote for, for a measure like that if it was on the ballot. Um, so people are concerned about the conditions that animals are raised in and things like that. Um, but it's a matter of sort of turning that into action. And I think that there's a possibility that getting them sort of familiar with, with um, you know, the smaller steps might, might be beneficial. Yeah. And then, you know, you have the problem of if, if people feel like it's uh, ethical meat, which there is no such thing, then you can encourage people to eat meat when they feel like, oh, now I can have a hot dog because we passed the ballot measure because there's zero enforcement. And um, so we direct action everywhere went into a giant factory farm that said they had stopped pig gestation crates and there were pig gestation crates everywhere. So I want to get back to the eat differently campaign. It's so good on this side of the half hour. Let's play it again. It's uh, short, but it's very powerful. We'll discuss. They called them the crazy ones, the rabble rousers, the misfits, the ones who danced to the beat of a different drum. You could cheer them or chastise them revere them, or revile them. But one thing you couldn't do is ignore them, because they changed the world and pushed humanity forward. These geniuses not only thought differently, they ate differently too. They ate plants, not animals. And they inspired a new generation of disruptors to carry the torch. People who eat plants are healthier and live longer. Eating plants reduces animal suffering minimizes the risk of pandemics, and mitigates climate change. And while some say plant eaters are the crazy ones, we think it's not just genius, it's evolution. Wow, what a great campaign. I can just watch, I'm going to play that like a, like a toddler. I'm going to play it over. <laughs> uh, Lori, um, so how are we going to roll this out? How do we get the whole world to see this campaign? Uh, well, we are starting one city at a, at a time, and it's in San Diego, um, you know, which is what second largest city in California. And, and uh, we have plans to go. Uh, it's not solidified yet, so I can't tell you which cities plans to go uh, to other major metro areas in the U.S. And and hopefully in 2024, we'll will um, be international. Um, so it is a commentary. We aren't shying away from the, fa from the fact that this feels near the cadence is similar to the Think Different campaign. And, and we've licensed, uh, uh, Eat Differently has licensed the photos or the footage um, for that. Um, 
there's just so many interesting aspects of this campaign that are going to unfold. It's really only been live uh, technically for about a week, week and a half. So, um, so it's really in its infancy. Um, but yeah. Well, I want to go to some comments that are coming in. Um, don't you think most people don't get speciesism? It's a new word. You know, we have to get used to this new word. Um, and people go, what? So, but I think it's a very important word. Uh, eat different campaign ads are educational and encourage people to adopt a plant-based eating and choose cruelty-free option. Absolutely. Uh, if one cares about animals and 97% of humans do, vegans should be the moral baseline. Absolutely. We're going to put you in the campaign. No, just kidding. But that's a very good statement. Thank you, Nilofar. All right. Um, also working to ban fur. Yes. I mean, there's so many, so many different um, aspects to this movement. Um as an environmentalist, I used to save sea life from plastic straws, yet go out for sushi later. Don't you find that strange? Absolutely. There are so many contradictions, but, you know, we all have contradictions. Nobody is perfect. Uh, when I was working on uploading videos for Unchained TV, I decided to include a sustainability lane. And I realized as I'm uploading videos about composting, I don't compost. I'm a hypocrite. And I started composting as a result of uploading these videos. And, and it actually made me feel good because I was like, wow, people are going to watch these videos and change. I'm changing watching the videos. So we can all improve. Um, video is, is very powerful because, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. Um, that's mm -hmm. why when it's important for these people to go into these factory farms and show what's going on, because uh, it, you could describe it in a giant encyclopedia, one image, one image of what's happening to these animals in these factory farms is just so powerful. I mean, it's so powerful. This is an industry that claims they want everything's clean. Look at this. We clean up every day. Oh, yeah, really? Um, but yet, how do we convince people of what we know and what we feel is the most important social justice movement of our time? Because it affects everything. It affects world hunger. We've got children dying of world hunger because we're feeding a huge percentage of the food we grow to farmed animals. We've got the climate change angle. We've got the American health and Western world and now being exported to other parts of the world health where we've got an obesity crisis. We've got a heart disease crisis. We've got a cancer crisis, all of these things. And yet the frustration, we only have a couple of minutes of, you know, final thoughts. I mean, the frustration, Zach, is that it's so clear. I just did an Instagram live with somebody this morning and I was like, there's one false assumption that is at the root of at least 90% of our problems. And that is we have to kill to survive. And why is it that we get this and it's so obvious. And then these Mensa club members out there can't see. It? Yeah, I think, I think it's a really, I think it's a really good question. I think there's, um, you know, not surprising to anybody who's listening to this, the animal agriculture industry has quite a lot of power and money and can do quite a lot of lobbying uh, and ad campaigns and things like that to make it seem um, normal and not not strange and not have people, you know, think a little bit about it. Um, you know, uh, you talk about people not being exposed to, to some of this, this stuff uh, in, in the media. Uh, we did a, a study recently that we, in collaboration with Sentient Media that found that only for uh, climate change articles in, in the media, only 7% of them mentioned animal agriculture at all. And most of those don't mm -hmm. even 
mention it as as a contributing factor to climate change, right? So there's a big there's a big um, part of of the media as well, um, which I know Jane is is not surprising to you. Uh, this this total lack of or or barely any mention of it in most publications um, at all. So it's there's there's a lot of sort of different things I think going on, right? There's the animal agriculture industry itself. There's the lack of media coverage of these things that make it easy for people to to not think about these things or to to um be distracted you know maybe i'm sure a lot of people have had that moment of clarity uh where they're sort of like this seems wrong to me but then uh it's easy for them to be distracted or to forget about it or to see a label on something and and not know what it means but assume assume the best because it makes them, them feel better so um yeah there's a lot of things contributing to this uh, but we're we're honing our message. And, you know, I heard something at the Vegan Women's Summit that really had an impact on me. We are kind of in a little retrenchment stage now uh, because um, the economy's bad. People aren't going out to eat as much. So oh, some of the vegan restaurants are struggling, blah, blah, blah. And what one of the panelists said is, look, if you look at any company or any industry, it's never just a straight rise. It always goes like this. It always goes like that. That's part of the pro- process. And they even have a name for when it goes back a little bit. But then it comes back stronger than ever. Lori, you are in the PR business with the plant-based space. Do you see the trajectory? Um, and and are you are you optimistic? Yeah, definitely optimistic. I think you what you were uh, touching on is kind of the rubber band effect. And that is true of any industry. Um, you know, we are in, uh, we have an uphill battle for all the reasons that were, you know, Zach mentioned and you mentioned, um, we have a major propaganda, you know, spinning machine. Um, and we also have, you know, meat is, uh, psychologically is ingrained in everybody's eating meat is ingrained in, in culture. It's part of, um, uh, people think of it as part of family, traditions, uh, health, and it is going to take a lot of effort and a lot of money and a lot of coordination um, with other, you know, vegan advocacy groups and, and um, to, to turn uh, the ship around and to tell the truth and to get, you know, change the hearts and minds of people and hopefully break the cognitive dissonance. And so that's what I hope to see. Um, is is more of a coordination amongst all of us. You know, we're we're pretty um, hardy and strong, and and uh, we are smart, and and we have our hearts are in it. So I'd like to see like coordination between all of us. I saw this quote at an Airbnb, and we were just in San Francisco at the Animal Liberation Conference, and it said, "If you'd asked, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses, Henry Ford." And I thought that was really clever, made me think, you know, I do believe in the law of unintended consequences. I am a proponent of um, clean meat, uh, animal free meat. I don't call it cell based meat, but I think that's going to be a major game changer. And there's also the bioidentical meat that doesn't even use a, a, a tiny cell of any animal that is the same thing. I think we are on the precipice of a major breakthrough Hang in there, animal lovers. If you love animals, go vegan. We'll see you next time here on Unchained TV, Voice America podcast. See ya. 
Thank you for tuning in to Unchained TV. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.